really believe this is extremely important. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, you'll come upon me. Help me to be able to present this the right way and that it will go forth as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and be watered by your Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until you come. But we bind the enemy back. Anything that would try to hinder this, the seed of God going forward, try to hinder this, we break his power, command to go. But, Lord, let there be a flow of your, um, the washing of the water of the word, the light of truth, dispelling any darkness. And that's a key. Lord, let the light of truth, dispelling any type of darkness, lies, deception, any of that religious stuff that's not you, that's just man Clear all that out. And, Lord, bring truth and revelation. We thank you for it. We bless you. We commit this time now in Jesus' name. All right. So as I'm doing this teaching on the Hebrew roots, um, I'm going to try to go quickly through this. But I just want to say it's really important that we grasp this because this is um, trying to take some real deep things but make it a certain way where um, it will be presented correctly here. But going back in history... The Catholic Church, which was never true biblical Christianity from the beginning, I don't have time to get into that, but it wasn't. They were always persecuting true Christians. But the Catholic Church made it a very significant point, and they very deliberately tried to rip the Church of Jesus Christ apart from any type of Jewish roots, Hebrew roots, and they did it on purpose. And since that time, even though we've had our Protestant Reformation, in uh, 1517 out of Germany with Martin Luther and others. Um, It was wonderful that we were able to to have that, obviously, but there's still a lot of the influence that goes back to Catholicism. And so I'm trying to teach in a way to get us back to biblical Christianity. And you guys know my heartbeat about this, but this is really important to me. This is kind of, if somebody said, what's your life's theme? I think this might be it. I want to have Book of Acts biblical Christianity. I mean, that's really my heart. And see, when Jesus was here those three and a half years, he spent time with his disciples, and he poured into these guys. They followed him everywhere. They lived with him. And he, he preached in front of them. He, I'm sure sitting around the fire talked to them about countless subjects that, that we don't even have recorded in Scripture. But they saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw all this. And when Jesus was leaving on the 40th day after he rose from the dead, he was ascending up in the clouds. He told him, go wait in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power. The church was birthed, but that was the church that Jesus Christ planted. That was the church that he directly taught those leaders. Okay? And it was, it's from the soil of the Hebrew roots that springs up true biblical Christianity. So you have to have some kind of a foundation in this. And with my wife's testimony, which I shared a little bit about this last week, but with her testimony, I've God has taught me also some things to um, help her, and it has made a huge difference in her life. And so with all of that said, let me pick up where I left off last week, but God is wanting to deeply consecrate us unto him. So you understand that, and we all know this now, there's, okay, there's the sinners, but then there's people that accept Christ as their Savior. Now, when they do that, they are forgiven, they're born again, um, they're on their way to heaven, and that's the end of the matter right there. They're clean before God. But you have to understand that beyond that, there is a place of being deeply consecrated unto God, and there's a big difference. And I think you all know that. 
And that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote Timothy and said about the difference between vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. They're both still God's people, but I want to be one that is deeply consecrated unto God. All right, and so one of the ways that that will um, take place in the life of a believer is the power of immersion, okay? All right, so let me talk about this tonight. We see in the, uh, with the Red Sea, it's almost, I believe personally, that there's something prophetic about it because what came out of Jesus' side, blood and water. So the water obviously would have had a red tint to it, but blood and water came out. When you look in the outer court of the tabernacle, what's in the outer court of the tabernacle? There's blood at the bronze altar and the water at the laver. And so the Red Sea, there's an essence there prophetically of like blood and water. And so when people are coming to Christ, there is something about the power of his blood, but there's also something about the power that's behind immersion. Um, I'm going to go somewhere with this. Just follow me, okay? Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ. Now, this is the part that kind of irks me a little bit. This is baby food tonight. This shouldn't be, what I'm talking about shouldn't be deep. Everybody in the body of Christ should know about this. But very few are taught on this level. That bothers me, to be honest. So, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ... Let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Instructions about washing. The washing, there's the word baptismo, where we get baptism from. So he's talking about baptism. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So this is foundation, this is baby food. The next thing, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we have to understand this from a New Testament perspective. All right, Luke seven twenty eight. So first, my first point is that this is elementary teaching. My next point is this. Luke seven twenty eight says, I say to you, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. You guys remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron, so in a spiritual sense, before God, he was the high priest of Israel. But the Roman and the Sanhedrin governments kind of worked together and put Caiaphas there. He was just a puppet. But John was really the high priest, and he was also um, a prophet that had that mantle of the spirit of Elijah upon him. And John was led by the spirit of God to begin to baptize people in water, immersion, so to help prepare them for the coming of the Lord. And as John was doing this, there's no doubt, anybody that understands Hebrew roots will confer with this, he was most likely doing this during what's known as the season of Teshuvah. And it was, it's a time of repentance. This is very common, but I might come back to that later in this sermon. But anyway, here's John. He's calling people to repentance. He's baptizing them. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they were hearing Jesus teach, okay? They acknowledged God's justice. His righteous judgment is the way that translates. Having been baptized with baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. So see, that was a lot more significant than what those people were understanding. 
Something spiritually was happening to people when they humbled themselves and went out to John and they acknowledged that this is a man of God and this, is, this immersion is of God and they submitted themselves to it. Something spiritually happened to them to help them be able to be ready to receive the ministry of Jesus Christ. But those that were too high and mighty, they looked down their nose at John. Here's this guy with this crazy hairdo. He still has some locust thing on the side of his beard. He's been eating locusts. He's wearing this ugly Elijah mantle. Who, who do you think you are to baptize me in water? I should be baptizing you. Those type of people, when Jesus came, were the same ones that says, who do you think you are talking to me? And they rejected, God rejected them, but they rejected the purpose of God because they rejected what God was doing at that time. Colossians 2, 12 through 13, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of, operation, of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he made alive together with him, having, having forgiven you of all trespasses. Now, this is a good scripture for this. 1 Corinthians 10.1 For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. Talking about the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Everybody say, in the cloud. And in the sea. Okay? And they all ate the same spiritual food. Now, what you've got to understand is the cloud represents the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The sea represents water baptism. The spiritual food they ate represents Holy Communion. All of this, what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual. We have the fullness in Christ. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low or they died in the wilderness. But I want you to notice that they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So think about this for a minute. I'm trying to put faith in you for what's about to happen tonight. Whenever they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea, there was a spiritual cleansing of some kind that was happening to them. But that same water that baptized them was the same water that shut behind them, remember that, and destroyed their enemies that were trying to chase them into their future and into their destiny. That water helped to destroy their pursuing enemies and help separate them from their Egypt. And that, to me, is really the power of baptism. It helps destroy the enemies that are trying to chase you into your future and into your destiny, that there's some kind of a death to the old and a coming into the new. And God begins to help to separate you from your past. I may be jumping ahead of myself, but this is a good spot to share this story. There was this young man that grew up in church, and it was a, a full gospel church. They believed in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was telling me that in this baptismal service that he was probably, I think he was a teenager, but he was telling me this years later as an adult. And he said he was sitting there, and he knew that some of these people that were getting baptized had come out of a really sinful past. And he, and he was watching them get baptized, and he's just sitting there as a young man. And you guys know in a lot of these churches that the baptismal will be, you, you can't really see the side, and in the back it'll be, um, you know, like a tub. But in the front, it has that plexiglass where you can literally see all the way down. You can see him go into the water, come up, okay? 
And he said as he's watching these people get baptized, he knew that they had a lot of sin in their life. And as they came through the waters of baptism, he said it, it started to kind of freak him out because as he's watching this, he said there was like this green haze or something that was in the bottom of that pool. And he said it was sitting there circulating. And he said he was sitting there watching that, and he thought, man, that must be all that junk coming off those people. There's something to it. The Lord is deeply consecrating a bride for his coming. Look at this in 1 John 5, 8. And I want you to take notice that this is, the new, this is the New Testament. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Let me say that again because I don't think some people got that. This is the New Testament. The Spirit, which is the anointing of God as well, the Holy Spirit, he moves in the anointing. The water and the blood. These three are in agreement. Just as John the Baptist came, and now I'm, I'm going to read this to you, okay? Just as John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, baptizing the masses and preaching repentance, preparing the way of the Lord, the spirit of Elijah is coming upon the remnant of God to help prepare a bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is once again an emphasis on this deep consecration. God is calling us to be a bride that is making ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. How many of you guys can sense that the coming of the Lord is getting closer and closer? You can sense that we're living in the end times, especially after doing that series I did here. You just can tell that the end of this age is coming and the Lord's coming is near. And God is calling us to be a bride that has made herself ready. So here's some things that some people need to unlearn. Number one, some have been taught that you have to be water baptized to go to heaven, and that's ridiculous. Okay, I might remind them that the thief on the cross had no opportunity to get water baptized. And so he simply just put his faith in Jesus. So once we put our faith in Jesus, there is a new birth. There is a washing of the blood of Jesus, washing away our sins. And that alone, our faith in Christ, is what gets us into heaven. Everybody says, Amen. All right, but I'm going beyond just being saved. I'm talking about being deeply consecrated unto God. This is an altogether different conversation. Now, the scripture that they use about uh, trying to justify that teaching is this. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. But what you have to understand, this is why it's so important to look at the Greek and Hebrew sometimes, is the word there for saved is the word sozo. And in the Greek, the word sozo means this, saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, prosper, make to do well. It's talking about everything Jesus paid for on Calvary. Okay, so what, it, what I believe Jesus is saying here is this. Once we put our faith in him, that is a, that's where the new birth can happen. And that's where people are going to get into heaven through that. But to come into, y'all catch this, to come into the fullness of everything Jesus paid for us to have on the cross, that deep consecration unto God, divine health, freedom from demonic influence, to really be protected and to preserve and to be prospering and doing well, to really come into the fullness of that sozo life, I believe baptism plays a role in that. I believe that it helps people get cleansed from their past. It helps separate them from their past. It helps destroy their pursuing enemies. And it helps them to start moving into the fullness of everything that's available. And I'm going to skip over some of this, but 
Just know that there's a big difference in our understandings of those that understand Hebrew roots and those that don't. There's just a big paradigm shift there. Okay. So in the New Testament, we use the word baptism because we get it from the Greek, the Greek word baptismo. But a lot of times in the Hebrew culture, they call it a mikveh. But it's the same thing. It's an immersion in water. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. So let me just read through some of this. I believe that when somebody first accepts Christ as their Savior, I personally believe that there needs to be somebody there to teach them about baptism, what it means, and to help them be baptized that initial time. Okay, Um, This helps you obviously die to the old. There's a death of the old, a resurrection into the new. And in the Bible, it's not something... That in the New Testament that was put off for two or three years down the road. When people accepted Christ, they're like, where's the water? You know what I'm saying? It was something that was soon. And so we don't need to be putting this way off for these new converts where they got to wait a year to get baptized. And as I talked about that deep consecration to God, I'm just moving through these notes. The blood, the water, the spirit testify. A spiritual cleansing. Um, there was... One teacher that said this, he said, the best time to pray, you remember when Jesus was immersed and came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him like, like a dove would settle upon him, gently came upon him. Um, somebody said one time, the best time to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit might be after a water immersion, after they've been deeply consecrated. There may be some truth to that. All right, so let me talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then we're going to get into some of the benefits of water baptism real quick. This is getting ahead of myself because I'm going to teach more on this during the Passover meal when we go through it, but I'm just going to touch on it, okay? Now, before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, now this is when they had the Passover Seder meal that night, okay? The devil having already put in Judas Iscariot's heart, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, what was going on at the Passover time for you to understand this culture? All right, people had to come three times a year to Jerusalem. They had to come during Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They had to. It was under law. And so there was approximately two and a half million people. And if you've ever seen the size of Jerusalem, you know it had to be packed because it was not, it's not a big place. And two and a half million people were coming in during these days. And at Passover, they, they were bringing all these lambs with them. They were going to the temple because they were bringing, the Bible says, don't come empty-handed. So they were coming with their offerings unto God. And part of the culture of that time, was and and there's still something to all of this if you'll understand this from a new testament perspective but they were coming to the passover feast they were bringing god offering but also this would have been a time all around to this day if you go to jerusalem and you look around the temple area there's little pools called mikveh pools everywhere they were full of water and they would go there and they would immerse in water and they were um like consecrating themselves for these high holy days that's what they were doing and so the early church, this was so, you got to understand, this was so normal to them. They grew up their whole entire life around this waters of immersion. It was a normal thing. They were very comfortable with it. 
And before Passover was to have happened, there's no doubt that these disciples would have already gone to the temple. They would have already been given their offerings because the Bible says don't come empty-handed. They would have already been immersing in water and they would have already been preparing themselves spiritually before the Passover meal. This was just simply in their culture. Now, during the Passover Seder meal, one of the first things that happened, and this still goes on to this day, is that they, there'll be a washing of the hands at the table. You guys remember that? They'll pour the water over people's hands. This is not for hygiene. Um, it's supposedly like a spiritual cleansing, like a baptism of the hands. So what Jesus was doing was now, they had already been consecrating themselves unto God. They had already been to the temple. They had already been given gifts. They had already done like an immersion. And at the beginning of the meal, they would have already been washing their hands. So now Jesus is getting up and being a humble servant, because he could have had somebody else do this, getting up as a humble servant, kneeling down and washing their feet. And what's interesting about this is if you look at the Old Testament, for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to immerse in water and he had to wash his hands and feet at the laver. There was something about that where he was consecrating himself. Did y'all catch that? He had to immerse, but he had to wash his hands and his feet. And then there was like some kind of a cleansing, and then he could go into the Holy of Holies. And so now keep that in mind about what Jesus is doing here. Then Jesus, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Uh, Simon said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, "What what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never will you wash my feet. And listen to what Jesus said. If I don't wash you, you'll have no part in me. This was more than just a little foot washing because they had dirty little feet. There was something else going on here. You hear what I'm saying? And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, Jesus had already known their culture and knew that they had already been to the temple. They had already immersed. They had already given their gifts. They had been consecrating themselves. And so verse 10, Jesus said, he who has already bathed needs not to wash, I'm sorry, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew, he knew the one who was to betray him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. He was talking about Judas Iscariot. And so, you know what Jesus was doing here? He was helping to spiritually consecrate them. During that Passover meal, he instituted communion. They were being consecrated by the power of the communion table and through that, that washing of the hands and feet. Jesus was taking them as the great high priest. Remember, if men, if somebody gets this, it's really awesome. John the Baptist passed that priesthood to Jesus when he baptized him. Jesus wasn't sinful. The reason Jesus got baptized was because he was, that mantle was being passed. That great high priest office was being passed to him. And John said, I must decrease, he must increase. And John died shortly after that. Jesus came up out of that water, not only the son of David, he came up as our great high priest, and he came up in the spirit of Elijah as a prophet of God the priest, prophet, and king. And when Jesus was sitting here washing their feet, you have to understand, he was acting in his office as a priest and he was getting them deeply consecrated and ready, what, for the day of Pentecost when they would enter into the Holy of Holies. So what was going on during Pentecost? So we talk about Passover, now Pentecost, 50 days later, and um, 
the Hebrew, it's called a Shavuot, and that's weeks because they count seven weeks. We get the word Pentecost because of 50 days. But anyway, they were coming. Once again, you have people from all over that have to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Shavuot. They've been practicing that for 1,500 years. They have to come. They cannot come empty-handed. They have to bring their offerings. People are going to the temple. They're going to be immersing in water and consecrating themselves unto God. And they're there to worship God and to celebrate. And while they're there, Jesus had already been with his disciples and prepared them. So now they're near the temple. The Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shoots out of that Holy of Holies area. Y'all follow me? And comes into where they were, and they get filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now everything's starting to change because when Jesus died on the cross, the Aaronic priesthood died with him. And now he's our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, a new priesthood. And now that what he's saying here with this is that the temple that was there is no longer going to be the house where God's presence dwells. Now the temple is going to be his people. And the Spirit of God is leaving that temple and filling us. And now we are going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so his early church, he had already consecrated and prepared them. Now they're being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. But people had come from far and wide into Jerusalem. And they're watching these guys staggering around, kind of like they're drunk, speaking in tongues, baptizing the Holy Spirit. And it catches their attention. And they're like, what's going on here? And Peter gets up and preaches the gospel. They're cut to the heart. And interesting because during the time of the golden calf was the first Shavuot, the first Pentecost, if you will, during that time when they were given the law. And because of the golden calf, 3,000 people died. And it's interesting now that here on Shavuot again, that there was 3,000 people that were saved. That's not an accident. And on the day of Shavuot back then, whenever God came down on Sinai, you had the word of God being given, but you also had this pillar of fire on top of that mountain. And what do you have here? You have they're there because they're celebrating the fact the word of God being given, but now you have little pillars of fire on top of their head. But what was happening is Peter preached, the spirit of God was so strong, the anointing was so strong, they were cut to the heart. Brothers, what must we do? And Peter told them to repent and to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, they all didn't get in a big bus and drive really far away to the Jordan to go get baptized. There was already mikvah pools everywhere around the, te- uh, the temple area. And he simply was telling them, look, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you need to get baptized in the name of the Lord. And there was pools everywhere for that. Is this making sense tonight? All right, so here's a couple things. I'm going to go through this quickly, so give me your best, dear. I'm preaching this way because I want people to be free. So anybody here in this, you know, outside of this church, the reason why I preach this way is because I want people to be free. And I know what I'm talking about because my wife, for her to be free like she is, she's more free than a lot of Christians I've seen out there, but it's because, I've de- you know, by the grace of God, we've deeply consecrated her, and that's had a lot to do with it. Wouldn't you agree with that? She's been deeply consecrated unto God. So it's not just a matter of being saved. That's wonderful, but you can begin to deeply consecrate your life unto God, and when you do, there's a level of freedom and protection in that, and there's a level of being go- able to go into God's presence and have more of a rich, powerful prayer life. All right, so here's some things that I believe are powerful that can happen at baptism. Number one, 
I read this earlier, but the deliverance that can happen. Remember how the children of Israel, their enemies destroyed, separated from them. That was a deliverance of sorts. They were being delivered from their past. How many of you guys known people over the years that accepted Christ as their Savior, but they're still in bondage to their past? They're still struggling with the same old junk. Listen, as we consecrate our lives unto God, God can help separate us from our past. And I believe in the spirit realm, whenever you get baptized, that this plays into this. In the natural, Israel standing with Moses over here, and there's a chasm of the Red Sea water, and then there's Pharaoh's remnant of his army or whatever in Egypt. There was water in between them and their enemies. I believe the power of baptism helps to put water in between people and their enemies and help them be able to get beyond the old junk. Number two, healing. Do you remember this? Jesus, he spits on the ground. Now, how would you, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I'm just telling you that Jesus would not be welcome in as many churches as what you think that he would. I'm just telling you he wouldn't. So he spits on the ground, makes mud, and puts it on some guy's eyes and tells him to go wash in the Jordan. It, why? You know, why was he to go wash? I don't know, but when he did, there was healing. Same thing, interesting, with Naaman the leper. Naaman comes. Elisha won't even get out of his tent. So Naaman's kind of mad because he's a big shot, you know. This guy won't even come out and talk to me. And Elisha was telling him, look, you just go out to the Jordan, dip seven times, and you'll be cleansed. And that's exactly what happened. There was something about healing. Remember also the pool of Bethesda, the pool of Siloam. Remember how that angel would come down and stir the waters? And then people that got into the pool and they immersed in that water, they were healed. It's interesting because I remember hearing this story. Basil told me this. I've shared this before, but there was a guy that had such a bad heart that his limbs, actually his legs were turning black because his heart could not pump water or pump blood, I mean, down into his legs very good. And his legs were getting discolored. And his heart was so bad. And he had come, and Basil and them were doing this baptismal service. <coughs> and they had it sit up in the middle. And they had, like, you know, these tarps coming down. And people come up, and Basil pray for him. And the power of the Holy Spirit was hitting these people, but they were obviously baptizing him in water. And that guy came down to get baptized. And when they baptized him, something happened in him. He went down, sat down, and he started feeling better. Started, things started changing. He starts looking at his legs. They're starting to get color back. You know, God totally healed that man in the baptismal pool. So there's something in the baptismal pool when people are consecrating themselves unto God where there is a flow of healing that, it, that can be available. And I remember seeing those powerful baptisms at Brownsville of all those healing people getting saved. Y'all got, you guys remember seeing those videos? I was there for some of that. I saw it in person. But, man, it was amazing. And one of the things that was neat about it was the, the power of God was so strong in Brownsville in that revival. They were baptizing pe people, but people, some of them were so overcome by the Spirit of God that they could not uh, get back up and walk out. So I joked around and called them the, the water baptism bouncers, right? Because they had these big old guys there. And if somebody was out in the Spirit in the water, they'd go down there and pick them up, you know, and carry them out of the water and go set them somewhere behind the scenes. I don't know. But why was God moving so powerful like that? Because 
they, they were honoring God and they were getting these you know, people saved, but they were immersing them in water and helping them to get cleansed from their past. Also, when you deal with inner healing, um, it's interesting because a lot of times if you cut yourself somehow when you're out and you're working or whatever and you cut your arm, one of the first things you need to do is wash it with water and kind of cleanse out any impurities. Now, this is just my opinion, but I've seen this enough now that I think there's something to it. But it seems like when you're dealing with inner healing issues of the emotions and the soul area, that water baptism just helps to, to cleanse and, and help release healing in people inwardly. And I've seen that. <clears throat> All right, another thing is the added protection. Um, John Kilpatrick said in that great revival at Brownsville, they had all those powerful baptismal services. People were getting dunked in water. He said this. He said that the people that submitted themselves to water baptism, he said he saw a huge difference in their stability in their Christian walk. Other people that gave their life to the Lord but did not get baptized, he said they were far more likely to still be struggling in their sin and to backslide and to fall back into their past. He said it was very noticeable. Isn't that interesting? So baptism helps people come into the fullness of that sozoed life, okay? And so the question is, is it a once-in-a-lifetime thing? I don't believe anywhere in the Bible does it say that you can only be baptized once in your life. In fact, I'm sure that it doesn't, right? So, no. The answer is just simply no. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I've always told people that maybe came and got right with God, and they would tell me, yeah, pastor, back when I was like 10 years old, you know, I gave my life to the Lord at vacation Bible school and I got baptized, but man, I've been living in sin for all these years. I'm like, you need to get baptized again. I'm just telling you, you need, just like you gave your life back to God, you need to get baptized again. And so there's something about that that's going to help them be consecrated and separated from that past, okay? And what we're doing here tonight, I really believe that I've heard from God about this in River of Life. But before these, the Passover time, um, Easter time, whatever you want to call it, before this time when we look at the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, uh, the, the early church, because they understood the Hebrew roots, they would have spent time really consecrating themselves into God. And same thing during the fall. And so as I've been doing this, it's been one of the more powerful things that I've ever experienced in a church. Because right before we go into the spring feast times and right before the fall feast times, I've been saying as a pastor, hey, let's spend a time of prayer and fasting as a church. Okay, just pray about anything in your life. Let's consecrate ourselves unto God. We're going to agree together in prayer and fasting about some needs that are represented. The Bible says don't come empty-handed, so, you know, bring something to the Lord. And let's all do this together. And I mean to tell you, it has been awesome, powerful, what God has been doing. And what has concerned me, and I say this in a very, very sweet, loving way about this, but I've seen in the body of Christ where it seems like some churches and ministries are going the opposite direction. And what I mean by that is um, I've seen things like this. Let me just give you examples. There was one pastor that was up talking about something, and he literally had this. This really happened. He had somebody over here on the platform getting a tattoo while he's preaching because he's talking about how that's totally fine, you know. And, I mean, I've seen them now where 
Uh, there'll be people on the praise team or maybe on a dance team or something, and it looks like their clothes were painted on, cleavage, stomach, whatever, and it's not modest anymore. I've seen where um, worship leaders, but you get outside of church and they cuss like a sailor. You know, they're drinking, they're smoking. You know, and it's like a lot of this is going the opposite direction. And listen, I'm saying this in love, but this is in the Bible. I believe it's James 4, 4. It says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And those that choose to be a friend of the world become an enemy of God. And James called them an adulterous people that wanted to do that. And Paul said, Demas forsook him, what, having loved this present world. And Paul talked about the spirit of the world. And I don't want to be a part of that. And so while some people are going that direction, I'm going the exact opposite direction. I'm saying, hey, guys, let's, let's clean house. Let's just get everything right with God. I want to be ready when the Lord comes. I love those people, but that's not, that's not how you get ready for his coming. He's not coming for a dirty, worldly, stained, adulterous bride that is just full and saturated with world and sin. He's not coming back for that. The Bible says he's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. And so during these times of prayer and fasting, um, we're doing this. And then, you know, people come together and we'll have like a, a service like this. I call it a consecration service. Where, and we'll take communion together. And we're, we're saying, Lord, just purge the yeast out. You know, here in a moment, my wife and I, we're going to anoint people with oil and pray over you. Exodus 40, Moses anointed the tabernacle, and that tabernacle was deeply consecrated, and then the glory came. Man, isn't that awesome? And we're the temple now, the Holy Spirit, the tabernacle of God. And then also, as we have, you know, people that want to, totally voluntary, but if you want to get baptized, we're going to take everybody that wants to, and we're going to immerse you tonight. And what you're saying is, Lord, I just want to be deeply consecrated. If there's anything in my life separated from me that you don't want, let me move to a new place of consecration unto you. All right, so it's not a once-in-a-lifetime event. I believe it's an event as often as it's needed, people should be able to get water immersed. Amen? The same thing with communion. It's not like, you know, you take communion one time in your life, but you better have enjoyed it. That was it. You know, it's not like that. It's as often as you will. And the same thing with praying over people, anointing people with oil. It's like, well, you've been anointed once in your life. It's not like that. As often as these things are necessary or as you feel that they're needed, okay? And so when you look at the Hebrew roots, um, you see that even going back to, you know, a long time ago up to present time, uh, pious Jewish people still have this ceremonial hand washing. And some, some Jewish people to this day will immerse weekly for the Sabbath. They will immerse monthly for Rosh Kodesh or at high holy days. When defiled, a woman after her monthly period or giving birth, and even when a woman's getting married, I think it's prophetic about that. Jewish women to this day, when they get married, they go through a water immersion like leaving the old behind and coming into the new. Now think about it for a minute. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is coming for a bride that is washed and without spot or blemish? I believe that there's something to what I'm saying here. It's prophetic. It's like Esther. Esther was being bathed and anointed so that she could meet with the king. There's something about this consecration. My point in sharing all this is is that it's just not something that's a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. If you understand the Hebrew roots, it's actually pretty common. Okay? Um, 
We are priests now, 1 Peter 2.9, the Old Testament pattern, but we are New Testament priests, clothed in the garments of salvation and righteousness, clothed with power, um, clothed with the glory of God. And think about this. This was interesting to me. The high priest on Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement, had to, mikveh, had to immerse five times on that day and had to wash his hands and feet ten times before he went to the Holy of Holies. All right, I believe I've covered pretty much what I want to, but let me give you a couple final thoughts. Romans 6, 2 through 7. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so, that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a new newness of life. Are y'all seeing this now from new eyes? God is helping us to die to the old and be separated from the old and be cleansed from the old and leave the old behind. And it's like a death in Christ and then a resurrection to a new life of freedom and cleansing in him. For if we had been uh, planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. In Colossians 3.1-7, If you then... Um, have been ra- risen with Christ, seek those things, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so God is wanting us to go through this deep consecration, whatever that means. I mean, I believe that as you humble yourself in prayer and fasting and you confess your sin and you really repent, There's a deep consecration in that. I believe as we come together and take Holy Communion together, there's a deep consecration there. And I believe as as Sandy and I and some of these elders and leaders will anoint people with oil and really pray over them, I believe there's a deep consecration there. But also, as you go through the waters of baptism, there is a deep consecration. It's a very powerful thing. All right, and let me close with this. Those that attended before the Brownsville Revival broke out, they had these Sunday night prayer meetings where they would take communion and they were, you know, Pastor Kilpatrick would maybe anoint and pray over them, speak blessings over them. But there was this time where they were spending two and a half years really consecrating themselves unto God and spending time in prayer. And Kathy Wood wrote a book I really enjoyed. And she said in the book, she said that those that came to the prayer meetings, those two and a half years, and were there and they submitted to that process of really being consecrated unto God, when revival broke out, they, they were right in on the move of God. But she said there were other people that did not come to the prayer meetings, other people that did not consecrate their lives. And those people, some of them left the church they didn't want the revival and others it took them a long time to be able to get in on the move of God and it reminds me of what I read earlier in Luke 7 where it said that there were those that submitted to John's baptism that were able to receive Christ right there but others that rejected that and they couldn't receive Christ's ministry it's similar it's like what I'm trying to get at is this to make it really simple if we will submit and humble ourselves to the Holy Spirit 
calling us to consecrate our lives, then when the time comes, when revival really comes in fullness, we're going to be ready. And those that don't want to consecrate their lives, they don't want to go through this process. When revival comes, they're going to have a hard time entering in at first. They may still get in on it at some point, but there's something there that's going to be a hindrance until they get on the other side of it. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Those that want to be immersed tonight, we're going to baptize you here in a little bit, and God's going to powerfully touch you. You guys remember the last time we were at this place and did this? Man, it was powerful. I mean, you can feel the power of God in that water. But before we do that, um, my wife and I want to pray real quick. We're not going to spend long with this. But I believe it was Perry Stone and Kurt Landry and some other people. They kind of worked together. And they wanted to replicate the oil that was used in the Old Testament tabernacle time. The same oil that Moses would have prayed over the tabernacle with. I'm not saying there's anything magical about the oil, okay? It's just a symbolic act, prophetic act tonight. But I want us to anoint you with this oil tonight, symbolically, that you are now the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to anoint you that God set you apart as holy, okay? And we're going to believe God to do a deep work through that. We've already took communion together, and now we're going to go immerse people. And I really believe that you're going to be different. The last time we did this at this facility, there were people that were delivered of things. I remember that. There were people that experienced like some, some inner cleansing and changing. There were people, if I'm not mistaken, they experienced some healing. But it was, it was radical. It was really powerful. And so I want people to have faith with me. Let's expect for some awesome things, okay?